Today's scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year, guys. If you're new to this church, it's a good time to come and see what we're about because at the beginning of the year in January, we like to refresh our vision and our values. We have seven values here at Revive, and we like to start off the year saying, this is what we're about. This is what we stand for. And so in the five weeks of January, we can't hit all seven, we'll get to five out of the seven values um, that comprise the vision of Revive Church. And the first value is the most important by far. All the other values are really subservient to this value, and that is that we are a gospel-centered and a grace-powered church. So today, we're gonna, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about what it means that we are all about the gospel. And today, particularly, I want to... Um, I want to apply the gospel in three ways. Three ways that are really, really important for our culture at this particular time. Our culture is, um, is tremendously broken. Um, I don't even think it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's so much more broken than I think people even realize. Um, we're in such a bad place. Um, but. So, but the gospel is really the answer. I know that sounds kind of like a cheap, strange thing. These weird religious people, that's probably what the secular people think, they always think this Jesus person is the answer to everything, and really, he is. And we believe that in our church, and we want to apply that gospel message in three special ways in our church, okay? This year, and that's what I want to start off this year, kicking off. Um, you know, this brand new year. We want to turn this chapter. There's been a lot of hard things that have happened in the last few years in America and here, here in Silicon Valley. And you know, God is always doing something new. God's not a boring God. God doesn't have to do the same things again and again. He makes things new through the gospel, right? And so let's become new, renewed through the gospel this year, okay? And so... Um, let's get into it. Um, as you can see, I didn't quite want to give up Christmas, okay? Christmas is past, but it's never old. It's always new. And Christmas is always about Jesus and the good news of who he is and what he's done for us. And uh, so I picked maybe a somewhat of a surprising text for you to talk about the gospel, and it's a Christmas text. It's what you all know, Okay. But um, let's get into the three parts. Okay, part one, vulnerability 
and weakness. That's the first application. The gospel is very, very much intertwined with vulnerability and weakness. Part two, courage versus fear, anxiety, and cowardice. That's part two. I want to urge you this year to embrace courage through the gospel, okay? Courage versus fear, anxiety, and cowardice. And part three, hope over despair. Hope over despair, okay? Let's get into the passage. Very famous, you know it. And this is a message that is being given to shepherds. And it is given on the very first Christmas. It is given by angels. And uh, this is the verse um, that I want to emphasize. Well, let's, let's, go, let's, try, let's go back to verse 9. Angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So glory is the Bible's word for something so magnificent and so beautiful and compelling that the word beautiful and magnificent is too small. So we have to have this bigger word, glory. So the glory happens, and they're actually really scared out of their minds. And then here's what it says. And then the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, who is the Messiah, the Lord, okay? So why am I using this text? That word, um, I bring to you good news. If you go to the Greek, it's actually a verb. <laughs> the verse is, I gospel you. That's actually what it says. It's, uh, it's evangelizomai or something like that. I think that's how it's pronounced, right? Which is that I gospel you, and it's a word that means I'm going to offer you a news that's so big it changes everything. That's what good news is. There's a word there that's news that's not just everyday news. There's a news that's so big and it's so great that it'll change everything. That's what that word is. And let's just start right here. The angels proclaim it to whom? Which is shepherds. Who is invited to see the reality of the gospel come to fruition? The gospel is this news that there's a Savior born. And who is invited to that? It wasn't kings. It wasn't highly educated people. It wasn't rich people. There are no wise men there, okay? So you know that little manger scene that you know of where the, the three wise men, by the way, there weren't even three. We don't even know how many there were, right? And they all show up. They were not there. The lowest rung of society was there. The working class, they are like the bottom of the working class, okay? They're dirty. You're like, you're, just get out there and clean up the sheep poo, man. That's what you get to do. And make sure none of them run off. That's your job. We even let some kids do it sometimes. That's who got to come to this, see the reality of this good news. And let's just say it this way. What is 
the gospel. What is this good news? And let's just start right here, which is a lot of people, when they hear this word gospel, they just hear Christians talking this christian talk, this religion talk. So that sometimes when people go say, believe the gospel, be, you know, like receive the gospel, they think it means practice Christianity. <laughs> be a good Christian. Do all the Christian stuff. Go to church, pray, give money, be a nice person, tell other people about Jesus, that stuff. That's not the gospel. All that of how we practice our faith is about really how, what we do. Hey, if you are going to practice a faith, it is what you do, right? Of course. Human beings, we don't just like have a belief and then it just doesn't do anything. Of course, it does stuff. We are active. It is an active faith. So it is about what we do, but that's not the gospel. <laughs> the gospel is never about what you do. <laughs> the gospel is never about anything that you're supposed to do. <laughs> the gospel is a news, you understand? When you turn on the news, on the radio or on TV, what, what is it about? Has that, does, have you heard anything about what you're supposed to do? Does a news, news anchor show up and go, hey, you, you should give more money to poor people. Is that, what, is that what the news does? The news tells you of something that has happened. You get it? It doesn't have anything to do with what you did. It has something that's been done, and in this case, done for you. It's all about what God has done for you through a Savior. That's the good news. That's what the angels are proclaiming here. And we want to just start right here, which is, in this church, we believe that this news, this proclamation, so let me just say it. Let me, there's so many different ways to say it. This is the way the angel says it. Says it. In the city of David, a Savior is born who is the Messiah, Who's the Lord? That's, that's an interesting way of saying it. It's an announcement. Let me just unpack this a little bit. If there's a savior, you know what that means? You need saving. That's what it means. That means you're in trouble. That means your life is not good. Something is deeply wrong in our lives. When the angels heard this, said this, and the angels said this message to the shepherds, they didn't need to be convinced of that. They just went, whoa, yes, <laughs> Savior, sounds good. <laughs> They're at the bottom of society. They're an oppressed people. They've been conquered. The Romans rule the world and hate the Jews. They hate their God. They hate their religion. They hate their ethnicity. They hate them, Okay. And then among these people that are hated, they're at the bottom. They don't have money. They don't have power. Their lives are going to be hard. And they're going to be despised. And into their life, God is saying, there's a great news for you. <laughs> That's what our church is all about. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you walk in and you're a billionaire. You, you, like, you, know, you knew the right people when you were young, and somehow your money blew up, and now you're worth massive amounts of money. We don't care what college you went to, how smart you are, how pretty you are, how tall you are, how many, you know, like, you know those like six-pack things you got. Uh, let me tell you how many I have. I, I have one. Okay, so I'm a one-pack. And it kind of comes out according to my wife, okay? 
So we don't care if you have six or if you have one. In our church, we think everybody's a shepherd. Everybody's low. On the outside, I'm strong, I'm rich, I'm good looking, I'm successful. That's what our culture, that's what the city worships, that's what we celebrate. It's all about that. But on the inside, we know you're more like a shepherd. That's what the Bible says. If you don't know that you are like that, you are deluded. You're really fooling yourselves. You're in the, let's use the modern word, you're in denial. It's very, very helpful if somebody comes along and punches a hole into your denial. In this church, we're going to help you to know you more like a shepherd. And thankfully, there is good news, okay? And we believe this news, not what you do, not what you can attain, but what has been done for you through this person named Jesus. Now, that makes all the difference. Now, let's start right here. Our culture demands that you have to be strong. You have to be strong. You have to be smart. You have to get good grades. And you have to get good SAT scores. But now they got rid of SAT scores. You just better have everything else that's good. Okay? Right? And uh, you can't just have good grades. You have to have like started a company. You should have won a gold medal. You should have won like some Westinghouse prize or something like that, and then maybe you can get into the good school, right? And that treadmill doesn't end when you're trying to get into college. Then that treadmill starts when you're looking for a job, and then when you're at the bottom rung of the job, and then when you get to the middle level of your job, and then when you're looking for your next job. How strong are you? How smart are you? How successful are you? How much money do you have? Let's put it a little bit differently. If you don't have these things, you should be ashamed of yourself. And you know what? We are. We are. All throughout America, there are all these people that I've actually read papers, these studies. What percentage of America? is in deep credit card debt, deep. Like they're not probably not going to, you understand credit card debt? You get into this debt, and then every month, they tack on another 25%. So for you to do nothing means you're going deeper. You're getting poorer every day. It's crazy. And people don't under, even, even if they can't understand the math, they know they're getting poorer every day. And do you know what percentage of Americans who are deep into credit card debt, you know how many other people they tell? They don't tell anybody <laughs> because they're ashamed. Okay? And I don't say this because like, I'm trying to make you ashamed. I, I know what it's like to be in deep credit card debt. I'm going to tell you something. I don't tell anybody. <laughs> when I went through that, I didn't tell anybody. If you have a low-rung job, you don't go around telling people about it. <laughs> if you think you're about to lose your house, you don't tell anybody about it. And of course, the people sleeping on the streets or in the tents or in their cars in our city, which is a lot of them, they don't talk to anybody because they're ashamed. 
This is America. <laughs> you know what it is? This is a country, this is a culture, this is a city that hates you if you're weak, if you're lowly, if you're vulnerable. But do you know what the gospel says? That Almighty God became weak. Almighty God chose to be vulnerable. Almighty God invited to his birthday the weakest and the most vulnerable. Almighty God, when you are weak, when you are vulnerable, you don't have to be ashamed in front of him. He said, I'll be weak for you. I'll be weak with you. Jesus, his birth, oh, it's good news, isn't it? In this church, here's one of the things that we want to, I want, I want to lay down. I've said this in multiple ways. This is a good place to lay it down, first Sunday of the year. If you're in credit card debt, if you're ashamed, if you are weak or vulnerable, if you're hurting, you come to a good place. Because here we believe in the gospel. We believe in something good for you. This is a place where you can hurt. This is a place where you can cry. If you can't weep in church, I don't know where the heck you can weep. I've gone to a lot of churches, and I go there and I'm like, I don't think you can cry here. <laughs> That's the last time I ever want to go back to that church. If you can't cry in church, I don't think it's built on the gospel. I don't see how that could be built on the gospel. It's good news for the vulnerable. And here, we always want to give you grace. That's what Jesus gave us. God gave us grace. Grace is this, favor that you did not earn. <laughs> you never have to earn it. In fact, you show up with your crud. You show up with your junk. You show up with your shame. You show up with your debt. You show up dirty and naked and poor and bad. That's how we receive the gospel, okay? That's how we receive the gospel. Now, I may be your pastor, and I'm the one who leads this church, so to speak. I really don't. It's Jesus, okay? <laughs> Me and Young and our elders... We're just the lieutenants of the one who truly leads the church. Well, I want to, I've said this to you before, and I hope you believe me. I, I, I cannot say this more strongly. If our church stops being a place where you can be weak, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> I don't want to be the pastor. I don't want to even be a member of a church where you cannot be weak, where you cannot cry, where you cannot fail. Because I'm a man. Before I'm a pastor, I walk into this church as a sinner. I walk into this church with the heart of a shepherd. I need the God of the vulnerable. I need the good news. To let the good news be the ultimate, biggest fact of your life. Not how good your grades are, not whether you got you know, rejected from that job, 
Not whether your own mind tells you, man, I'm never going to be good at anything and nobody's ever going to like me. I'm never going to, oh my gosh, I just got rejected from like five jobs from 10 colleges. That girl, she didn't like me. She was the fifth girl I asked out, okay? No matter, if, even if you say that to yourself, the final, final, bottom, bottom thing in your life should be the news that God has redeemed you through a Savior. You do not have to save yourself. Our city demands save yourself. Only you can save yourself. That's why we only like the strong. <laughs> the strong is great. The weak is bad because we don't need weak people who need to go to church. But everybody needs to go to church. Everybody needs a savior. Let's go to part two. Courage versus fear, anxiety, and cowardice. Um, I have uh, two children in college, one about to go off. So in the last few years, I have read my kids' college essays. Uh, thankfully, they can write. <laughs> right? Um, four years ago, my son Hudson couldn't make it today. I was sick. And um, I asked him, can I, can I share this? He said, sure, Dad. Go ahead. And um, he wrote an essay for college. And he talked about something that was being discussed in biology class in ninth grade. And in biology class, all this stuff about sexuality started spilling out. And he realized, I don't believe this stuff because I'm a Christian and I believe in the Bible. And as a 14-year-old at Cupertino High School in ninth grade, and this is the way he wrote it. He, he came to this realization as a 14-year-old, but he wrote this as a 12th grader, so which is four years ago. He's now 21, right? About to turn 22. So about eight years ago when he came to this realization, and he said, I realized I was part of a despised minority. That's the way he put it. When he was 14 years old. I said, and I remember reading that. And on the one hand, I said, man, my son is in touch with reality. That's good. <laughs> on the other hand, I said, that seriously sucks. My 14-year-old son knows that in our society, he's rejected <laughs> because he believes in Jesus and in the Bible. That is not fun. He wrote that four years ago. Is it better today? It's worse today. Our culture is so full of fear and anxiety. And one other thing that we never talk about in our culture, which is cowardice. Cowardice. Let me just talk a little about fear and anxiety first. If everybody's anxious, it does really bad things inside of a people. It makes the culture really toxic. You know, when you go out, you should feel like a kid. See the kids who do this? When I see kids do that, I'm like, yes. <laughs> and when you should meet teenagers and young adults, and they have that spirit, 
Teenagers should just want to go out and have fun and do dumb things. Let's go drive fast, man, and pick up girls. Yeah. <laughs> right? Dude, man, that, that's, I mean, okay, I was kind of like that, okay? Right? And because they want, they're looking for life. And they're free to do dumb things and figure out life. That's not how the teenagers are today. Teenagers, they barely even ask girls out. I don't know if you know this. I read an article a few years ago where there was a, a study done on the sexual behavior of young people. You know what's crazy? Okay, when I was young, you, you, they, the kids slept around, okay? That's bad. <laughs> That's really bad. But you know what that means? That means they're not afraid of life. They're like, I'm free to sin. Okay, they, okay a lot of them don't know that's sin. <laughs> Let's go party. Let's get drunk. Let's pick up girls, okay? They're free to do dumb things, even sinful things. Do you know that the teenagers today, they don't even have sex. That's how anxious they are. They're unbelievably anxious. They're anxious about everything. And it's not just teenagers. It's everybody. It was like that before COVID. Not, it's not just because of COVID. Before the pandemic, it was like that. It's just worse now. <laughs> it's worse. If everybody is fearful and anxious, you know what else it does? It creates distrust. It creates suspicion. It creates hair trigger anger. There's just crazy things happening on today. You know, like um, people get on a plane. In a normal year, there's like a certain number of incidents or a person just pops off and gets really angry at the stewardess the, the, or, you know, the, the flight attendant. There's only a certain small number of that. The number of that apparently has skyrocketed because <laughs> people are just can't control their temper to the flight attendant. That's against the law. If you start yelling at a flight attendant, they could actually like, pull you out there and kick you off the plane. It's against the law. People are so crazy today, they can't stop themselves from doing that. And of course, you know it's on the social media. Well, I don't have to look at anybody in their face, so I'm just going to say evil, disgusting, horrible things about them. It's like, hello, your name is on that. Young people, your name is on that. Don't do that. But it's because our culture is filled with fear, anxiety, distrust. It just explodes in horrible anger. And here's something else. When you're filled with fear and anxiety, you can't look at somebody and give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say you're, you're like a Republican. And you meet a person, and they're like, oh, I bet you they're a Democrat. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to treat them like a person. <laughs> and remember, their politics is only one slice of who they are. <laughs> they might be a 49ers fan, and you'll totally get along with them. <laughs> they might have gone to the same college as you. They might have voted for the same person on America's Got Talent as you. <laughs> they might like Vietnamese food just like you. And your politics, who cares? <laughs> But you look at them, and you just smell the wrong politics, and you're like, Ugh. and of course, you know it goes the other way around, too. 
the Democrats do that to the Republicans, and the Republicans do that to the Democrats, and we have horrible, utterly horrible, ugly politics. Because we cannot just give, just, there's more to them than that. Whoever you know that is on the other side of the political aisle than you, let me tell you something. There's a lot more to them than their politics. They're made in the image of God. Their beauty and their complexity and their, their profound potentiality for glory is far greater than their politics. The politics is a small little sliver of who they are, especially in America, because most Americans actually, when we're normal, we don't actually care about politics. <laughs> you know that? Which is really good. So this is really toxic. And let me just say a little something about cowardice. Our culture doesn't really talk about cowardice much. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, says that courage is the first virtue. I don't know if he's exactly right by that, because it doesn't say that in the Bible. <laughs> but if you think about that, it's a good point, because he says, courage is the place where all your virtues and your values are tested. Your beliefs, your virtues are challenged right there. So if you don't have courage, you will fail what you stand for when it matters. I look around America, what percentage of America really believes in this very, very intolerant, woke ideology? It's a small percentage. Unfortunately, that percentage also happens to be like at the top of like our universities and our companies and our newspapers and our media. So it's a very small percentage of people. The vast majority of people don't believe in that ideology. They're much more normal, which is, well, I don't really believe in that Jesus stuff, but like, I don't think all Christians are bad. That's normal. Okay? And yet, everybody is quiet. I think we're cowards. If 20% of America said, hey, please stop this. We're not like this in America. We don't need to be like this. We know how to treat our neighbors with decency and tolerance and kindness and generosity. We know how to do this in America. And let me say this. Let's say Americans don't know how to do this anymore because we're such a toxic culture. Christians, we must do this. <laughs> that's not of the gospel. That's of God's law. That's his command, <laughs> right? <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. But the gospel gives us the courage to be able to live this way. Not because we're good enough, because we're not good enough. So let me say it this way. Being a coward doesn't mean being afraid. If you're afraid because our culture disapproves of Christians, is against us, or looks down on us, for whatever reason, okay, it's okay. It's okay to be afraid. It's reasonable. You're quite normal. 
But cowardice is not about not being, is about, it's not like, I'm not afraid, I have no fear, I'm totally fearless. Cowardice is not about that. Courage is not being fearless. Courage is having mastery over your fear. It's about how you respond to fear. It's about how you think, what's more important here? What's more important here? Isn't there something bigger here? Isn't there something greater here? And there's nothing greater than God is in your corner. There's nothing greater that we who are weak was invited to Christmas. <laughs> that God who is weak made himself weak so that we who are weak and afraid can be courageous and strong. See? He who conquered sin and death and shame and guilt and fear and anxiety, he gives us courage too. This year, I want to call you, Revive Church, to courage. You've heard me multiple times say that our church can be a place of weakness. You haven't heard me say this quite so bluntly, so boldly, but I you've noticed some of the preaching that I've been doing these last few weeks. Uh, it's all been kind of run up for today. Our country badly needs courage. We need people of backbone, of principle, not obnoxiousness, okay? Not judgmentalism, gentle, confident, courageous. We know what is a greater righteousness. Hey, you may not like me though I'm a Christian, but I'll try to like you back, okay? <laughs> and I'm not going to shy away from the fact that Jesus is my Savior. And you are working in, in companies and classes where you just never know when, I mean, today, it doesn't even have to do with anything being Christian. If you just say the wrong piece of politics on the media or in your class, you can get dogged for that. You can get canceled for that. You're afraid you could get fired for that, and that doesn't even necessarily have to do with Christianity. But you do know, of course, that we all do know that Christianity is definitely on the outs. It's just like what Hudson knew. And I'm not just saying, go to work and say, I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> that could be rather obnoxious. <laughs> okay? But I am saying, if it comes up, be yourself. Be the deepest version of yourself. Your best, deepest version of yourself is rooted in Christ, in the gospel. The best version of yourself is everlasting and eternal. Your company is going to be dead in 10 years, okay? Your job might be irrelevant in 10 years, but your eternal resurrected self in Jesus is forever. Nobody can take that from you. Don't ever be ashamed of being in Christ and offer that gently but confidently to your coworkers to your classmates. And if they reject you, it's okay. You're just like Jesus. Jesus said, if you are hated and persecuted for my name's sake, this is from the mouth of Jesus, you are blessed. That's what he said.
you are blessed. Arrive, church. I'm going to call you to courage. Let's all get that blessing this year. Let's all get that blessing this year. Okay? And lastly, I want to talk about hope. Part three, hope over despair. How can you get courage and live confidently in the face of social realities which can reasonably call you to fear and anxiety? Which make you feel like, my goodness, I could lose my job. I mean, I could kind of make you feel a little ashamed. I could tell you something like this. Hey, we got brothers and sisters in Iran, in Nigeria. If they come out of the closet, they don't, they don't call it that. If they come out of the closet and say they believe in Jesus, their cousins will murder them. You're just nervous about your money, OK? OK, I don't want to say it that way, but that's true. <laughs> Let's say it a better way. You know why, where you can get this courage? From the gospel. You know what the gospel offers everybody? Hope. <laughs> everybody who embraces Christ gets hope. You know what hope does? It defeats all defeats. Hope overcomes all manner of deaths and defeats. Today, we have hope as long as you have some money or health or success or good looks. And if you have the power to attain these things, then you feel hope. And you know what your hope is in? Yourself. <laughs> your hope is that you can save yourself. That's why church doesn't seem interesting. The gospel sounds like this dumb religious stuff. Because you believe in self-salvation. All our neighbors out there believe in self-salvation. Some of you Christians believe in self-salvation. You walk into church, you're like, I believe in Jesus. That's what you say on Sunday. But on Monday, you wake up, and you're practicing the religion of self-salvation. You feel good about yourself because like, I'm going to make money, and I'm going to do a good job, and I'm going to pay the mortgage, and I'll be a real man. <laughs> That's putting your hope in self-salvation. But what if you're not good enough? Hmm? What if your company gets downsized and your job goes off to India? Or even worse, an AI. <laughs> if it goes to an AI, that job's never coming back. Nobody gets that job anymore. What if you've been working so hard at the project of self-salvation, you're just exhausted. You're disappointed in yourself. And you're lonely because you're always trying to do it yourself. And you're ashamed to let other people know, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know. You know what that leads to? Despair. You know what despair is? No more hope. If your hope is in the religion of self-salvation, 
soon you will end up in despair. <laughs> so I don't know if you, where you are today. I don't think I need Jesus. I don't need a Savior. This just seems like dumb religious stuff to me. I'm going, hmm. To that, I say, I feel sorry for you. You're in denial. And then, you know what I do? And I've done this for a long time now as a pastor. I wait. I wait for that hope to die. And they hit despair. And I pray that somewhere in there, they have a friend who knows the hope of the gospel. <laughs> a hope that can never die. A hope in one that is much stronger than themselves. A hope in one that can truly rescue. A hope that is bigger than all our answers. Here are the answers of self-salvation. First, hope in yourself, and then try harder. Oh, okay, it did, okay that didn't work out. Okay, and then try again. Oh, and, and, that, oh, and, and try harder again. Oh, and, and then try harder again. Oh, that's not working out. Oh, you're depressed? How about these pills? Oh, you don't know that you're depressed. That's why you're drinking so much, or eating so much, or binging on whatever show too much. It gets worse. You're starting to hate yourself because you failed your own hope. So you're harming yourself. And now there's no more hope. So the only thoughts inside there come from hell. They start saying, there's no more hope. So maybe we should just end it. Is that you listening to this today? Whether you're on YouTube or here today? But here is the promise of this good news. Hope is not just wishful thinking. In the gospel it is a life and riches and glory. It is utterly guaranteed. Christ lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve to die. And through his cross and resurrection, now you have a life that will never have its hope robbed of you. See? It's an objective, absolutely certain foundation. This life has been won. It can never be taken away. By the way, that includes when you as a Christian, you forget about it. Okay? It's when you as a Christian, you're like, Jesus, okay, okay, I, I, I kind of outgrown that stuff. And then you forget that you're a Christian and you decide to believe in self-salvation instead. I met, I met so many people like that. And then I just go, oh, I feel so sorry for you. Wait for your self-salvation to fail. And hopefully you'll remember to come back. But all your current sorrows, disappointments, and rejections in the gospel, they're just temporary. Okay? They're going to pass. Even death. <laughs> That's so weird, isn't it? 
My grandfather died when he was 100 years old. It was really weird. There wasn't a lot of crying at his funeral. Everybody knew he lived 100, sometimes very, very hard years. But he was in Christ. His life was built on the gospel. Everybody knew that death was but a blip for him. That is what it is for you. Your hope is bigger than all these things that can sting and take away true life and true living. It is all yours through faith in Jesus Christ by putting your life in Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of David. You can build your life on an unshakable hope, one which you can never lose if your life is built in him. It will give you courage. The next time you're worried about your job or your money, think about hope. <laughs> when I watched the George Floyd video in 2020, I got really scared and sick to my stomach because I love my country and I love my neighbors. And I was afraid as a pastor, I'm going to have to talk about this subject matter and apply the gospel. And there's no way I'm not going to make a lot of people mad. <laughs> I got really scared and anxious. This thought popped into my head. It's not from me. It came from Jesus. <laughs> the thought was this. In about 10,000 years, all the Christian Republicans and all the Christian Democrats will not care that we're Democrats and Republicans. And all the Christian white Americans and all the Christian black Americans will be utterly unified and joyful in Jesus. So what is today? And I decided, I'm just going to love everybody who disagrees with me. <laughs> it's just a blip. I'm going to not be afraid. That's what I say to myself, and then I'm afraid. <laughs> and the next day, I'm not. And the next day, I am. And the next day I'm not. Because my life and my hope gives me courage. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because of the gospel. You can have it too. Build your life on a gigantic hope. We're going to go into a time of prayer today. We want to kick off this year with a special time of prayer. So I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Young will lead us in a time of prayer to cover over the whole of the year, okay? Lord Jesus, a weak, scared, cowardly people are we. We swallow the bad lies of our culture. And even though we say we are Christians, we wake up Monday morning and we believe in self-salvation knowing sometimes we even know in our head this is pathetic and this is wrong. <laughs> but we're still stuck 
and enslaved. But you, the God who made yourself weak and vulnerable, would you come to us weak, cowardly people, scared, cowardly, shepherd heart people? You, the God who swallows up all our fears, all of our weakness, who shared our hurts and our weakness. You did not despise us. You were not ashamed of us. You came to give us absolutely unbreakable hope. This is the truth of our life. All our disappointments, all our rejections, all of our poverty, the world tells us we're nothing. Heck, we even say we're nothing. But the real truth is, because of you, Lord Jesus, we have hope that we have everything. We are more than conquerors. We are infinitely rich. All your people will laugh and dance and hug and forgive each other. There'll be mercy and joy and grace forevermore. That is our hope. That is a certainty. Help us to live in that hope and offer courage and vulnerability and joy to our neighbors and to each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.